Hello everyone, good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever that you are joining us from. This is another episode of Rethink Culture, Culture Explored from a three-pronged perspective. Home, society, and work, whatever happens in all these three places, I'll either merit or transfer. And every Wednesday, I do this at 12 p.m. Eastern time, I'm coming live from DC. Well, not directly inside DC, but I live in the outskirts of DC in a town called Western Virginia, Northern Virginia. So if you're joining us from whichever part of the world that you are from, or from whichever state that you're from, write your name, introduce yourself, say hello, and you know, which state that you're from. And uh, it'll be great to hear from you. Today it is, I'm just honored, I'm just really honored to have a fantastic guest with me. I bet her last year oh my god yeah last year and we just started talking and she's just phenomenal and she does amazing work in the community pertaining to leadership community women in leadership and i can't wait to introduce her let's bring her on kimberly middlebrooks welcome hello how are you I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Happy to be chatting with you. We always have some very riveting conversations. <laughs> we sure do. And I'm really excited about it. So can you just share with us a little bit before I butch everything, but share with us about what you do, how you immerse yourself. And I know that you are changing the community with the way you lead, you know, with the way you enable, enable people and you have a HR background. So tell us a little bit about who Kim is, what you do. Absolutely. Okay. So I've been working in HR um, almost 10 years. It's crazy to say that. I don't want to date myself, but that's almost how long it's been. Um, and I've worked with, you know, very uh, diverse populations of people, you know, very um, novice people, people who are very high in their career, high up in their career. Um, and a lot of what I do is just really centered around empowerment. Um, I am a career strategy and interview coach. So a big part of my approach is just really um, empowering people with tools that are going to better themselves. Um, I do think that the trajectory that our careers have can really change our lives. It's not our life in general, right? Like it's not the only thing that we've got going on, but it can be a really big part. Um, and a lot of times to your career is tied to your passion and your mission. So just really empowering people and giving them tools and then just, you know, bringing out what they have in, in inside of them. So that's a, a little bit about, about what I do. That's fantastic. And you mentioned that, you know, you help people, you work with people and you help with strategy as well. And I absolutely love it. So I actually invited him when I was organizing LinkedIn local uh, in January. Was it January or February? February. Wow. Yes. February. And it was just amazing the speech that he gave, you know, how it impacted you because the topic was making the invisible visible. And you share a beautiful story, <laughs> the narrative that we believe. So I, I absolutely love to talk. But today, today we are gathered <laughs> to talk about this topic that we're both passionate about. Yeah. And I feel like this topic is often mi like misconstrued or contorted or misrepresented, not just in our communities. We need to look at diversity from a very integral holistic perspective because diversity just does not happen at the workplace like everyone acts as oh it's a new concept 
or when you go into university and you take one course about diversity, it's like, oh, I'm so woke about diversity. So let's like dig deep. I know that you come from a HR background and I want to hear more about your perspective, what you've seen, and then and then I'll bring my culture scientist perspective, and then let's have a discussion. So to start with, what does diversity mean to you from a three-prong perspective? Because we're going to explore home, society, and work. Okay, great. So, you know, uh, just diversity in general, to me, I think diversity and I think different, right? And that can mean in like any aspect. Um, I'm going to approach the work perspective first. I think um, what I've seen in workplaces, people say, oh, we've got some different people. We've got, you know, a woman here. We've got a black person here or a person of color here. We're diverse. And it's like, no, it's not that at all. That's the very simplistic, uh, excuse the pun, black and white, very basic understanding of it. Um, as far as uh, home is concerned, you know, I think, again, diversity is just, you know, different being surrounded by different people, different cultures. Oh, my gosh, people of different ages. I mean, it can just go on and on and on. And I think that um, maybe from a home perspective, it might be a little easier to have uh, more diversity and inclusion because in your home, like that's your that's your sacred space. Right. So you're in charge of it and it can look like whatever it is that you want it to look like. So if you've got a very well-rounded perspective of what diversity is and you can really incorporate that into home. Um, so I think those are kind of the, the two that I have a lot of experience with. Um, but I mean, I'm just so sad to say that in the workplace, it just really is not where it needs to be at all. And what was the third prong? I'm so sorry, Mila. Home, society and work. Society, it could be schools and the communities that we belong to, nation, immigration, Absolutely. Yeah. So society, um, we've got some work that we've got to do as well. I mean, even if you look at, you know, maybe religious groups or religious gatherings, you know, those Sunday is probably one of the most segregated days of the week. Right. Because we've got these people in this little cluster, these folks here, you know, there are a lot of commonalities between them. But it's just kind of like this thing of, well, we've always done it this way. This place has always looked like this. So we're just going to keep it looking like this. And so, again, I think uh, society and the workplace got a lot of work to do there. Oh, that's that's really heavy. I, I, and I'm with you, right? That's, what place is the biggest struggle that everyone struggles with? Like they, a lot of efforts are going into like diversity and inclusion. And it's often treated as though like it's an isolated team or isolated department that belongs in the <laughs> basement way far where the mail room is right then you've got to go down and then find those people sitting in the basement with the light flickering I mean this is extreme <laughs> extreme example no, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> right but you know coming let's talk about culture first because when we start creating culture and there's lots of buzzword going on you know, creating culture, uh, uh, chief culture uh, officer, chief culture and people officer. But when people in this situation, people in these positions do not understand culture from a widened lens and from a multicultural perspective, mm -hmm. I don't think people will be able to really grasp what culture is or build that concept of culture needs to be innovated and evolved every single day. Because when you think about people, right? Because when when we create a culture, 
what encompasses of a culture? Like, I want to hear your thoughts. What encompasses, what comes to your mind? You know, so many different things because culture is layered, right? It's in the way um, a group of people talk. It's in their dress. It's in their verbal and nonverbal, you know, communication skills. It's in their religion. It's in their literature, their art. It's everywhere. Um, and, and as you were talking, you know, I think it's really interesting because I feel that groups try to create culture but they don't have the members of that culture a part of the conversation. So it's almost like, how are you going to, you know, create an environment of inclusion for a specific group? You want to usher them in and make them feel a part of everything, but you don't have anybody that's a member of that group, a part of the conversation. Like that just baffles me. And you see that a lot, I think, in the um, entertainment industry, right? You know, there are different, uh, directors and groups of people that are like, okay, yeah, we want to include more people of this particular culture. And then you look at the project that they produce and nobody from that culture is a part of it. And it's just like, how? How is yes. it? Yes. Oh my God. This is such a hot topic. Because uh, uh, I was reading, we, we learned so much about what diversity is, how diversity unfolds in different cultures. Mm-hmm. So I came across an article in a YouTube video that was produced in Singapore and another YouTube video that was produced in Malaysia. These two countries are melting pots, huge melting pots, right? They had the Portuguese um, invasion or, you know, conquer, mm-hmm. colonization, Portuguese, they had the French, they had the British, and they had a few more different colonizations happening. And then hence a multicultural melting pot in those two countries. And yet it's such a diverse country. And yet there's so much of segregation within the country. And this advertisement on YouTube, well, not an advertisement, it was like a short snippet documentary saying that how people of color, even within, even if you're Asians, right? Mm-hmm. Like they will rank between how light is your skin? So the Chinese are lighter, then the Malays are darker, and then people of Indian origin are darkest. So that kind of like goes that way. And then they were talking about an advertisement where they were promoting uh, a Malay festival, I believe, yeah, Malay festival. And rather than having a Malay lady wearing her, you know, it's called Baji Kriang and, and, and the scarf, the hijab they had a chinese guy makeup and over here it's called um black skin right yeah putting on black skin but over there it's called brown skin so he painted himself as brown and that was so discriminating and people finally spoke up and saying this is so discriminating this is not diversity you didn't need to paint yourself like have a black face or have a brown face or or in some cases, like yellow faces too. Mm-hmm. You don't need to project that and say, okay, we are diverse. What is holding you back? Why are you so stuck in giving the dominant culture, the dominant people a voice and kind of like oppressing the rest of the people? And that happens in the United States as well. That happens in every part of the world where when we do that, diversity is quickly erased. Absolutely. And it's it's baffling because even in the instance you just gave, like it's someone who was of that culture that could have definitely been a representative for it. But, you know, I really think a lot of it stems on control. Right. And so mm. you have 
to, uh, I think a lot of majority groups want to control the narrative just overall. So it's a lot easier for some of them to tell the story the way they like to tell it. And mm-hmm. that's troubling within itself. Um, but I mean, that just goes into a whole bunch of other <laughs> things with like capitalism, <laughs> all kinds of crazy stuff. But I think it's kind of a result, you know, of that. Right. Um, you know, that's really interesting. I mean, again, like I'm thinking of movies and almost any movie you see that depicts Egypt, for instance, there are like non-Egyptian, non-minority, non-brown people playing Egyptians. And it's just like, where were you in science class? It's not even scientifically possible. Like, what? <laughs> you know? So a lot of it I think is uh, delusional. <laughs> it's yeah. very, very delusional. But I think, again, it's just kind of having that control over the narrative. And if a certain group tells the story, then they can tell it the way they want to tell it. So, you know, yeah. we've got to be able to tell our own stories. Yeah. And yeah, and this is known as the dominant voice, dominant culture, right? Even within diversity, you can label it as diversity and create a dominant culture by picking specific exclusive groups. I'm going to go to a comment that we received from Twitter, Ban. He says that we see this in the coding development role. It is massively, it's still massively a boys club on the developer side. This is so true. This is so true, Ben. You highlighted a really great point. A startup culture says they are about diversity. However, we see segregation based on sex. This is another factor which is true, right? When people promote diversity, like Ben mentioned about the coding aspect of it, um, I used to work with four, Fortune 500 companies in tech companies, right? I was a technical program manager and I saw the segregation between female coders and male coders, mm-hmm. right? Even the way, you know, they say, oh, we are diverse, we are STEM program, we want to include more women out under the lens or under whatever the vehicle of diversity. And then you see opportunities given to male developers or even when they're in a team, right, where everyone is talking, the male uh, kind of like stands up and and they'll start to mansplain. Oh, yeah. so that's not diversity. When you are, when you feel that you need to have your voice and treat someone else in a very condescending manner based on your gender, that you are contributing to eliminating diversity and you are creating that you're contributing. You are an active contributor to creating a singular culture. You are the culprit, right? Exactly. It becomes and a social uh... Sorry, guys. No, no, I'm just saying people don't want to really admit to that. You know, they don't want to say, hey, you know, this is me. I am the problem. You know, even if you talk about inclusion, technically inclusion means non-exclusion. Like I'm including you because I'm not excluding you. But it also is a lot more that goes into that. Like I can have a party and I can invite you. But if I don't talk to you at all, if I don't interact, if I'm not friendly, if I'm not you know, inviting you to play games. I mean, you're there, you know, are you really there? And so we really see that. Um, Yeah, I I do think in the coding community, it's definitely there. I think just in IT in general, it's kind of a boys club. Um, I also uh, work for an organization. I did some supporting with their HR and recruitment functions, and they were a physical security company. And so, I mean, I'm hiring people 
who are technical sales professionals and had other very niche skill sets as it related to like physical and like uh, other types of security. And most of them were men. And I joined quite a few uh, networking groups that were, you know, for women that were in that industry and they were few and far between. Um, Before I left, I did actually hire um, a young lady for a very uh, senior level position. I was so proud of myself. Um, for doing that, but she was a hard find because there just really were not many women. And of course, she didn't get the job because she was a woman, but I mean, she just so happened to be, you know, the best candidate, but it was great. I mean, it's so many from a professional standpoint, communities where women were novelty, you know, sometimes I'll get recruiting orders and it's like, yeah, it'd be really great to find a woman. And I'm like, yeah, but are you guys going to play nice and, and include her? If I find her, what are you going to do when she gets here? You know, you're going to let her have a voice. What's that going to look like? Now, I, I love the point that you made, right, where, where women are included and yet uh, and yet are excluded. And you <laughs> bring up a great point, right, in a party where or in a surrounding, you invite everyone, but you don't invite someone to play games. That is such, I, I feel like that's petty tyranny. I call that petty tyranny. It's, 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 like, it's like it goes back to the playground situation. Think about the playground situation when you were a child. Whatever is happening at the workplace has happened in childhood, in someone else's childhood. And that childhood behavior carries on as an adult. So we need to rethink, who are we putting these leaders in positions, right? And and how are we promoting them? And I love that example that you used. When we are in a gathering, do we invite someone else to play the games? I. I recall, I'm going to use workplace as an example, and then I'll go into schools as well. Workplace, I've been in, but I've worked with quite a number of companies where even, even like I hope right now, I own a culture science company. When I go into companies to speak with middle management when they need help, I even see how they treat me based on how I look like, because I'm not a male, I'm not a white male. I'm a colored, female saying I'm the founder of a company saying that this is what you could do so their ego kind of like clashes like I've seen people treat me badly saying they go in a defensive mode in email change and and the kind of lingo or narrative that they adopt is come back to us and see if we need your help that kind of chauvinistic um machismo kind of (laughs) persona that they take on and it's so true when we talk about diversity, even in team buildings, right? Team buildings in in workplaces, we create these team buildings, but only consult with people who look like us, who agree with us, or who are ki- not kind, but kind of like nice to us because they do exactly what we tell them to do because they want something out of us. And then you kind of like dangle a carrot, do this and I'll take you to that. That's social exchange bias, right? And, and that's when we leave out people and that hurts diversity and going back to the startup culture startups culture everyone thinks oh we are hip we are we are also progressive but most startup cultures they are not hit or progressive right. because they still operate from a perspective of we are all millennials we are all that generation i don't want all people right exactly that's that's very very true, um, and I think you're right. Uh, even just having that idea of we're all in the same generation, so we're diverse, we're hip, and it's just like 
No, it, it doesn't go like that at all. Like one part of diversity, I think, is multi-generational. Like I've done quite a few studies on it. And it's so funny when managers, you know, want to treat their employees the same way. And I'm not saying that you treat them differently based on anything, but you have to communicate with people differently. You can't say, okay, or you can't assume either, right? Because I hear this new thing now and people are like, oh yeah, blah, 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 boomers this, boomers that. And it's like, yeah, some boomers are, are pretty hip. Some of them were with the times. And so you can't necessarily look at their generation and have an assumption about it. You can take it into consideration where you're talking about the way you communicate with them, um, mm -hmm. the way they perceive certain things. You can kind of say, okay, from their perspective, they look at it like this. So I'm going to come at the, at the conversation from this aspect. So it's a lot of differences there, but no, generational ones, you're so correct. I think we want to lump people all in together, especially with startups. I mean, when you look at startups, who do you see? Millennials. That's it. It's not, they're not diverse. And it's so funny because they're like, oh, we're hip and cool. And it's like, eh, you might be, but no, <laughs> that's not how that goes. <laughs> and, uh, and I want to highlight this really good point because you mentioned about, you know, the millennials, hip <laughs> and cool. Just because, you know, you have this preconceived notion, I don't know where you received this notion, you as in like people <laughs> who have this notion, where, People who are 40 and above are useless. You need to erase that mentality. That is a millennial, that is a Z generation in every generation. There's a baby boomer in every generation. There's a Z in every generation. There's an X generation in every generation. People's mindset differs based on how exposed they are, on how they are immersed in diverse environment. Which part of the world are they from? So I think that no, I think I've seen so many mindsets in the United States where they are so caught up with putting people in boxes. 40-year-olds, no, they're useless. They didn't get technology, right? Like Snapchat people, Mark Zuckerberg, those, those people are not Zen generation, right? It's like, but they have contributed to creating technology. Tim, um, who's that? Steve Jobs, I was like blanking out, Steve Jobs. He created Apple that everyone is like so addicted to exactly. it right now. He's not a millennial, he's not a Zen generation, eh? right? So we need to start rethinking our culture, how we truly embrace diversity. I want to go to a comment really quickly by Ben. He says, I firmly believe women developers offer a perspective not shared by men. That's so true. Yeah. That's so true. Going back to your point, Kim, Exactly. It's it's really interesting that it's just not it's not valued. But if we just really look at it, like patriarchy is really woven into the tapestry of just everything of life, you know. And it's it's sad to say, but I think that's an underlying uh, factor in in kind of all of this because I do think that there is diversity with including women. But then here's the thing too: sometimes when people include women, they have this whole idea that we're a monolith, right? That okay, we've got a woman, we've got the whole woman thing covered, and it's like no, you probably need a couple of us because we're going to think differently, we're going to approach it differently. Yeah, we might approach it differently from men maybe and men aren't even a monolith which is interesting because they you know kind of don't really 
get the the rap for 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 being monolithic, but we do. Um, and so you can just, I mean, diversity can be just dissected and broken up into so many different pieces um, because it's it's a very complex concept. And I think it hasn't really taken off the way it should because it's so complex. And I mean, we're kind of laziest people, you know, we want to do what's easiest and what's quickest and fastest. And if you're talking about organizations at the end of the day, they're not profitable because they're diverse. They're profitable because they're pushing whatever product and or service they are, you know, giving to, to, to the market. And that's really what their main focus is. I think that diversity inclusion is just a byproduct um, and it's something that the uh, evil HR people talk about. And <laughs> when they see us coming, they run. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love what you just mentioned. And that makes me pose this next question. How we can rethink diversity even within groups of women, right? Because like women are trying to get up to that space of I'm, I need to be included. I need to have a voice. Please represent me. Right. And then when we do have a group of women where I hear a lot of us, but like boss babe, um, what lady boss and all of that hashtags and whatnot. But there's no diversity. All I see are white female of a very certain age group. Right. Where are the rest of the people? Where are the rest of the women who who are not in your same age group, who are not blonde, who are black hair? Asians, people of different people of color. Where are they? So, uh, this uh, I'm a very passionate. I'm very passionate about this topic. So, I want to hear your thoughts first. How can we rethink diversity even within groups of women? Well, yeah, kind of to my point before, just realizing that women are not a monolith. Um, and something you re really brought up that just really sparked an idea in my head. I think even from a per, uh, maybe communication perspective or from a personality perspective, we don't look at diversity and personalities, right? And so to your point, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, we think, okay, I'm an entrepreneur, so I've got to be a certain way. I've got to be like the super person that has it all together, you know, or I'm a career woman and I don't necessarily have a life outside of my career, but like I'm dominating. And it's interesting because you don't see a lot of differences there. You know, you might have, you know, somebody that might be a mom or someone that might be single or someone that might be this or that, but it's just not <clears throat> extremely representative. And I think because our ideas are limited about what an entrepreneur is, what a boss is, you know, how you really run things. I think we only think of one way to do it. And it's some of everybody that is, uh, you know, um, uh, successful and that has, you know, their stuff together and that's doing what they've got to do. They just don't all look the same and they're not all the same type A kind of personality too. So I think we, uh, when we think about rethinking diversity within groups of women, we've got to kind of bring in that personality piece as well, because we can all be different and so all get our stuff done. I, I love that you mentioned the personality piece, right? Because when women are already struggling to to have their voices heard, to have a space in at the table, but it's not the table. Also, when we rethink diversity, we need to like get rid of the bloody table. Stop saying have a space on the table, create your own space on the table. Get rid of that bloody talk. Oh my God, I feel like, stop it. Stop the bloody hell. Like, don't create a table. Why must it be in a room? Go out to the open space and see how many people you can fit. Yes. Why are you keeping it on the table? Most tables can only fit, what, four, six, 12? Why are you limiting it? That's not diversity. Why are you limiting it inside a room? 
go outside. Go outside and see how many people can you fit in your environment. So that's number one. I had to get that off my chest. <laughs> but that, that's the point, right? Because I think if you just think about the way people think in general, a lot of people have a lack mentality. They think in the opposite of abundance. So there's only so many opportunities for us. You know, we can't each have our own lane. We're competing for lanes. And so we're also competing for seats at the table. But to your point, if we're able to just get rid of the table, just get rid of the building, go outside, see how many people we can attract, we're going to find more. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, I think it's ingrained in certain people. And it's a lot of the uh, programming that we kind of go through to where there's only one best and there's only one way to do things and you got to fit in that mold to do it. And that's just the complete opposite of diversity. <laughs> that's the complete opposite of inclusion. <laughs> that's how we think. And so I think that's kind of where that table metaphor comes from. And the more we push back and the more we rally together and say, we're going to get an ax and we're going to chop this table up and make firewood out of it. Then, you know, <laughs> that's when we're really <laughs> just get rid of the table altogether. Yes. And we have another comment from Hollis Cam. He said, ha, oh, amphitheater. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. I love it. I can I can picture it now. I mean, even if you think of the table the size of like what, a football field or something, right? A lot of people. Yes. And that's what we yes. to push things forward. Yeah. Think about this, the football field or, or, so or soccer, whatever you call it. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not like, okay, I'm going to play this in a small game, but it is it is available to so many people to come and sit and look, right? And that's exactly how it should be. I mean, I mean it's still a stadium, but still. Right. Expand the space that you are in to rethink diversity. And there's another layer that goes on where you mentioned about the scarcity mindset, right? People not wanting to stay in their lane. It's a competition, Right, the minute we adopt that scarcity mindset, it's a competition. I think a lot of people operate from a space of fear, operate from a space of this is mine, I am the only one because we have been introduced to the narrative over and over and over again. How are you going to stand out? Stand out above the noise. How are you going to be top? I see this on LinkedIn top voice, top video maker. I see this on YouTube as well. On, on Instagram, on, on Twitter, the top, top, top. You don't need to be at the top to make a difference, right? No. Well, <laughs> I love this comment. We all have crabs in the barrel. Yeah, no, that's totally it. He hit the nail right on the head because that's what he did. And it's so weird, too, because we... I think we get lost in the fact that we might be saying some of the same things, right? I'm not the only career strategist out there. You're not the only culture scientist out there. But mm -hmm. the way you're going to say something is going to resonate with someone in a way that they might have heard it 30 times before. But the way you put it together, they're like, you know what? I get it. The same mm -hmm. with someone, you know, might have seen someone um, that does what I do before or something, but they're like, you know what? I resonate with her. I vibe. I, I understand what she's saying. And I feel that we are not uh, indoctrinated to think that way about ourselves, right? So I think some of this lack of diversity and inclusion sometimes is a lack of esteem because you're right. We have a scarcity mindset. It's born out of fear. And, you know, I can't control what I don't know. And so if I don't allow it into my environment, then I'm okay. 
because I have total control. And I think that's really what, um, from, I guess, like a psychological uh, standpoint, is kind of guiding some of the lack there. It's just like, I can't control it if I don't know it. So let me just not get to know it. And it's a disservice. It truly is. I like what you mentioned about, you know, not everyone resonates with your voice. Yes, I'm not the only culture scientist at that. Yes, you know, you're not the only HR strategist or expert out there. You're not the only coach out there, right? And you hit on a very, very good point. Not everyone resonates with you. Those people who resonate with you will come to you because everyone has got a way of delivering that message to your point, right? And, and that's so true. But at the same time, that we should not hold that as an excuse to say, I only resonate with this person, so I'm not going to listen to this person. We should constantly challenge ourselves because that's what happens in our communities, in schools. It happens in schools as well. Okay. I don't like this classmate of mine. I don't resonate with him or her. I'm not going to include him or her. Even if, you know, my professor put, this person in my group for project, I'm just going to eat. But diversity is also about accepting to disagree. It's also about accepting differences in opinions. Exactly. Exactly. And that's really difficult, too, because if we want to be the top and we want to be the best, we don't really care about what other people think outside of ourselves. Right. And that's kind of where you see people kind of uh, even compromising their integrity. And you see that a lot in society. You see that a lot in uh, the workplace because they want to be a part of the dominant group. And so if the dominant group is not including other people, then I'm not going to include other people, although I really want to, although I really see the value in it. I'm just not going to do it because I want to fit in. So we've got that whole, you know, kind of majority minority thought process um, group think. You have that a lot in organizations. And if the group thinks this, even if I personally think something else, I'm just going to go along with the group. So, you know, it's it, I think it takes a, a very um, strong person, strong in integrity, strong in mindset and just strong in, in wanting to be better and do better. Because I think the more different perspectives you hear and the the the, the um, more uh, different voices you hear in your round, your perspective becomes larger. And it's not as small, it's not as tight, it's larger, um, it's it's more inclusive, it's just better. And I think that's scary because we can evolve into people that we don't know. So again, it goes back to fear also. I love that. Yeah, fear is, when you operate from a, a fear perspective, right, I, I like to call it the first degree of fear. I did research on this, <laughs> first degree of fear. First degree of fear that you're approaching from a lens of insecurities, right? It's the what ifs. What if I'm not good enough? What if someone else takes it from me? And the scarcity bias comes into your point, right? But but why must we have fears? Going back, I'm going to go back to the playground example too, because again, whatever that we are displaying at the workspace, workspace has been displayed in our homes, in our society, because we it's not like we are Mila 5.0 at work and Mila 3.0 in my friend's group, we are Mila. Mila is Mila. <laughs> you know, whatever happens, Mila is Mila. Whatever happens, however that you behave, or however you think at work, you execute at work, is a mirror of how you do it in your society. It's a mirror of how you've done it in schools. Yes, people evolve, but then 
if that behavior is repetitive, then that has happened before. And I love this comment. Marginalized communities marginalizing others. Oh, yes, yes. Bravo. This is <laughs> That's some good stuff. Yes, Hollis needs to come. Hollis is my friend. <laughs> Hollis. It's so true that marginalized communities do marginalize others. I have experienced this first-handedly, not just in the United States, in different parts of the world, based on the color of my skin and based on me, of course, my gender. But it is so true that we continue to in a, disrupt someone else's ideas, like kind of like push down someone else and, and say, oh, you're not ready yet. The lingos that, or the narratives that people use is, you're not ready yet. You don't have experience. You don't have this expertise. Let me tell people, let me tell you people, not <laughs> that came off wrong, but let me tell you. Expertise, when you say I am an expert, that means that's the death of you learning. There's a difference between I'm an expert and I know it and saying, I have expertise and yet I'm still learning. That's a difference. Exactly. Exactly. It's almost like one has a period and one has a comma. You know, I'm an expert, period. That means, okay, you can't tell me anything. I, I'm done learning and I have expertise, comma. You know, I know what I'm doing, but I'm open, I'm, I'm open to more. I know that I'm always going to be learning. And it's so very interesting because you see more so of the expert, period, versus the expert, comma. Mm hmm Yes, I <laughs> I so agree because I, I was having a conversation with someone a few weeks ago and they said, I'm an expert. And she got really passionate. She got really, really passionate. I'm an expert. I know this. And then I said, well, I, I understand that you're an expert and you have 25 years of experience. I totally understand that. I'm not disregarding that. But don't you think within that 25 years, things that has, you know, definitely has shifted and we are adopting but to say that i'm an expert i've done this for 25 years makes me want to question have you done it done the same thing event event over again for 25 years or have you innovated it innovated it innovated it for 25 years and saying hey this is what i've seen but i don't know everything because even us as humans we are evolving right we are evolving. The kind of food that I liked seven years ago is no longer valid. I'm allergic to it now. The kind of environment that I was part of 16 years ago, it's no longer the environment that I am in right now. The kind of environment that I was in five years ago, it's not the environment I am in right now. Even your eyesight changes, even your mood changes, even your hair changes. So how can you say I'm an expert? Even doctors are not experts because everyone's body is different. So I want to just put it out there. There's a difference between saying I'm an expert and saying I have expertise, but I'm always learning because things are changing and evolving. Exactly. And that's part of diversity. Oh yeah. And I think that also just, um, it just, it kind of makes you more, it, it personalizes what you're doing, right? Like I think that there's still a very robotic kind of um, personality and approach and perspective to people that are like, I'm an expert, because it's just kind of like that whole thing of how dare you challenge me? How dare you ask me any questions? How dare you, you know, suggest anything? And I mean, I know, you know, from both of our backgrounds, we probably 
um, experience that a lot, right? You know, we, we come in, we've got this innovative idea, we see a problem, you know, or we see a gap and we have this solution we're ready to implement. And people are like, whoa, hold on, wait a minute. That's not how we do that here. <laughs> we do what we've always done. You need to fall in line. And it's just like, both of us are very rah, rah, rah. And we're like, no, <laughs> we're not going to do that. Oh my God. That is so true. That's so true. I remember when I first joined Amazon, um, I was a technical specialist. I joined as a technical specialist. <laughs> it was, and you know, like, you're like, hey, you know, because when you're new, you see things from a different perspective, right? And when you see things from a different perspective and you want to help, and not all intentions are good intentions or taking it as good intentions, right? But it was interesting to see how this one person told me, you need to put your idea away and not step on everyone's toes, not come in and say, oh, you are here. You need to get back in line. And that made me rethink, what the bloody hell are you talking about? Facts. Like, where, where is this line you speak of? What is it? What's going on? No, I've definitely been in a similar situation. And it's funny because I feel that in professional settings, you know what? I just think in life, like people think they know what they want and they don't get it. And then when they do get it, they're like, wait, we were not ready for that. We were not ready for you. We're not ready for your ideas, you know, and sometimes organizations, they learn to balance it a little bit. Um, and then sometimes they don't. And there's a struggle. You know, I, I had an opportunity uh, earlier this year that I, I walked away from because it was getting to that point. You know, during the interview and courting process, they're telling me all the, the innovation they're looking for. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is perfect because I've got ideas. And I came in. You know, I did learn the lay of the land. I got additional expertise, comma, right? And then I got right to it. You know, I'm like, this is what we got to do. This is going to work. And it was working. And then it got to the point where, whoa, wait a minute. We don't know. I don't, it, it just got uncomfortable. And I, you know, at, at that point I felt it was, it was best to move on, but it's really interesting because, um, a lot of companies and a lot of people don't like diversity from a thought perspective. You know, we, we're talking about people of color. We're talking about women. We're talking about personalities. But diverse thought, oh, my gosh, that's like almost the worst. I think, you know, sometimes people and structures would rather you look different and have the same mindset as them than to look different and have the same mindset. It's almost like, how dare you? Like, I love you have to do that. I love that you mentioned that, right? Challenging uncomfortable feelings. That's so true, right? Most people want diversity. I've had I've had people tell me, I'm not racist, I've got that black friend. I'm not racist, I've got that brown friend. Oh, bloody hell, you're racist. You know, you are having friends as a token, as a token. A few years ago, when I first came to the United States, my husband and I went to this Indian restaurant and um, there was another a group of people standing right in front of us and one in the group there were like Caucasian people and the Caucasian people looked at their Indian friend and said hey go pull some strings and get us a table just because he was brown so he he supposedly had to know the owner and I was like thinking this is tokenism. So are you having friends of different color? And, and that was not the only example I've seen. I've seen this happen most of the time in different parts of, of lifestyle. When I say lifestyle, 
It can be, you know, when you're when you're in a friend setting or when you are in a school setting, there's always people not being mindful about how they speak or or what they say, right? I've had situations where, you know, when people say diversity and people come up to me and say, hey, bring a food from your country, from your from your ethnicity. And I was like, what? What do you want me to bring? Sandwiches? Like what egg sandwich? And for them to make that assumption is another form of like dismissing, right? You're not really wanting to embrace diversity, but you're wanting to embrace diversity from your stereotypical perspective, what you have been unconsciously, consciously exposed to, what you see on the telly. I think this is when people need to start need to start challenging their uncomfortable feelings to the point that you make when when you hire someone who does not look like you in the form of diversity, right? Or when you invite someone into the playground who does not look like you and you want to play a game and tell them, no, 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 I don't want to hear your game. Come and play the game that I want you to play. Again, whatever starts at the playground happens at the workplace as an adult as well. If you have been having that mindset about, no, I'm going to dismiss you. I want you as a friend because you're colored and not wanting to understand that, that transfers into your friendship, even as a teenager, even as an adult, right? Even in the workplace, that transfers. And and you highlight a very good point. Diversity is also about challenging those uncomfortable feelings. If you feel that someone whom you hire or someone on your team does not look like you, sound like he has got a different idea than you, you need to put your ego away. Diversity is also about checking your ego and questioning yourself, why is this making me feel so uncomfortable? Why is this challenging me? Why am I being afraid? Yep, exactly. And that's the thing that people just don't want to do. They don't want to say, okay, you know, I walk past a person of color and I clutch my purse. Why did I do that? You know, they're just like, well, I did it because they're probably going to steal it, you know, and it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting. And it's uh, extremely interesting to see, you know, of course, with social media and the fact that we've got so much technology at our fingertips, you see tons of videos and you hear audio of people accosting folks because they're like, you don't look like you belong here. Like I just, it's getting traumatic for me. So I really stop. And I just, I watched one the other day though, and it was a young lady in her neighborhood. And this gentleman very clearly came out of a UPS truck, very clearly had on a UPS uniform, very clearly had packages. And she questioned him and asked him where he was from and what he was doing there because her car had gotten broken into and he looked suspicious. And I was like, like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it gets to a point where people are delusional with it sometimes because it, it it so challenges, you know, what they think and what they've been brought up to think. And it's just mm-hmm. easier to sound crazy than to stop and say, you know what? I have been taught this, but this is not really the case. And maybe if this is true in, you know, certain places with certain people, it's not true right now. So I need to change my behavior and act differently. And it's just interesting to see the lengths that people go to to protect that. Um, If I'm not mistaken, I believe it's called cognitive dissonance. And so it's like you learn something and like it's almost physically painful for you to part ways with it. And you will just sound stupid and you will look stupid and you will do stupid things to protect it. And while in the workplace, it's not as overt as that young lady, 
you know, it, it, it can be a little more uh, undercover, but you still see it as very covert and you just know mm-hmm. that that's what people are thinking. They come up with this crazy stuff and it's just because they don't want to part ways with what they've always done and how they've always thought. I love that. I, I absolutely love what you just said. It's it, even at the workplace, right? It is so covert. And, and I'm going to use this example. I've seen a lot of people where, I've been in teams where I witnessed this first-handedly where managers, where if they are white female managers, they'll look at the other team members. If it's a colored person, the narrative is always, she's not ready yet. She doesn't have experience. She can't take instructions. She doesn't understand the English, right? And in all this is like set in the form of, oh, it's performance, it's productivity, but, but, Right. If if a colored person like presents something and it, it kind of like challenges with your views, right? To your point, it's cognitive dissonance, right? Challenges with your views. They're like, well, I didn't think you're ready yet. This is not what we need. I didn't think that you are confident. I didn't think that you can present. I didn't think that you're ready yet. But if it is a white female or, or male presenting, they will change the narrative as, oh, this is a great idea. Great ownership. Thank you for being a leader. This is fantastic. You are creative. You're innovative. But the colored person does not get the same narrative if it comes from a very diverse perspective. So I think we really need to rethink diversity. I want to hear your thoughts. No, I mean, that's been me. (laughs) You know, I've been that girl that had the ideas and did what I needed to do and was constantly told I wasn't ready. And when asked specifically what, it was always very general, you know, and that's Mm -hmm. where I think that from an HR perspective, we can really do better and challenge people and really come up with some very specific things because there's so many very uh, blanketed statements and blanketed concepts and policies in HR that people's bias can fall under. I mean, it's just, it's way too many. And some of it's performance. And even if you come from a position where there are metrics, but some of those metrics um, are, you know, subjective, oh, it's over. It's a wrap. Because you can say, like you said, you know, uh, this person, you know, does not have the leadership skills. And a lot of times HR, you know, professionals don't say, okay, well, tell me about the instance where you told them to lead and they failed at it and tell me how they failed. And they can't say it because they've never even been given the opportunity to do it. It's just their assumption of it. And again, it goes back to that, you know, how dare you? How dare you, woman? How dare you, person of color, come into my workspace and have good ideas and be able to articulate yourself, be professional, know your job? Like, how dare you do that? And I mean, it's just ridiculous, but it's there. And until we really change a lot of guidelines and policies and get very specific and challenge people, it's not going to change. I mean, people who work with me know that I challenge them. Okay, you want to put this person on a performance plan? Why? You want to end this person's uh, employment? Why? We've got to talk about it. And it's got to be some very tangible, very specific things. We can't go with general because general just doesn't work because this is not a generalized kind of thing. It's very nuanced and it's very complex. I love it. I love it. And you mentioned something about performance. This is, oh, I'm passionate about performance as well. Maybe approach performance from a diversity perspective. I want everyone to listen loud and clear performance from a diversity perspective think about your child in school 
Your child performs, learns, executes differently. An adult does the same thing, right? You can't make everyone run a 5K race when everyone's strength, stamina is all different. That's exactly how it is at the workplace. You can't treat your humans like robots and say, this is how we are going to measure you to your point, Kim. You can't say that because everyone achieves burnout at different rates. Some people achieve burnout within the first month. Some people achieve burnout within the three months, dependent on the variables of their environment, right? Recently did a research of how people are treated within the first three months. People of color didn't get much resources as opposed to people who are Caucasians. And that plays a huge contribution to performance. People who got more one-on-ones with their managers were Caucasians or males. And minorities like POCs or women were left out. That plays a huge part in someone performing. That plays a huge part in what, how diversity is played out in your environment, let it be in schools. This can be transferred in schools as well. If a student is not performing well, why? Look at the variables, right? Again, going back to my point is every person shows up as they are. Let it be if they're having struggles at home, whatever that you're going through, that bleeds into them, wherever they show up, school, workplaces, wherever. And that's going to impact them and affect them because emotions, emotions impact you. You can't tell someone, show up, perform really well. They are not robots. They are not the latest iPhone for bloody hell sake. They're not. No, you're so right about that. And even with uh, in, in regards to your performance and diversity, I mean, if you've got people that you relate to, you know, you're going to have a one off and tell them something that's going to impact them, you know, in, in a one off situation that you might not with someone that you don't necessarily resonate with or somebody that's different culturally. So they're going to kind of to a certain uh, standpoint, get that advantage that other people, you know, are not getting. And I think it's very, um, you know, I think that might be the unconscious part of it. Because I mean, again, you know, we've got some implicit bias that people don't realize they have. And a lot of managers are not even challenged to even uncover. We as people aren't challenged to uncover, you know, what our implicit biases may be. And we're not forced to face like how that affects the way we interact with people. I love it. Absolutely. Um, implicit biases can change into explicit biases and then can become discrimination. Exactly. I want to highlight this point Ben says. That's a great point. My wife says the same thing uh, when she started at her current employer. She was not given any resources. Zero resources were given to her. She created her resources. Isn't that and this shows how how much great people have, people who are of minority, let it be women, POC. We create our own resources, and yet that is not looked at as leadership. Which is insane. It's like, you know, you give me nothing, and then I create something out of it, and it's still not seen. And so I think a lot of people get really discouraged by it. And then kind of to both of, I think, some stories that we've shared with one another, it does kind of span into your personal life, and it definitely does cause some 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 issues you know, with mental health. I mean, how could it not? How could you not give me nothing? I give you this wonderful thing and you're like, eh, we're just going to pass by for this next opportunity. We're going to give it to somebody else. And you go home and you cry because you're like, 
what am I doing? Right. right. And Ben says exactly, she's still not in a leadership position. And that's the truth. That's the reality that is happening. We we try to say we are diverse, we want diversity, and yet we do not embrace those unconscious, which is implicit biases, explicit, which turns into explicit biases, and then turns into explicit discrimination. Exactly. And it, at the discrimination part, that's when we want to settle. That's when we want to, you know, reprimand leadership. And it's like, no, no, no. This person didn't just outwardly become discriminatory. They had these little baby steps that you ignored, that you let go. Because this isn't the first time that you've heard this person say this or do mm -hmm. this treat a certain type of person this way, but now it's an issue because it's tied to some type of monetary disciplinary action for your company. And that's the thing. Like we've got to really get a hold of it because it's a very slippery slope and we've got to really baby step it and really just get to the root of it. Like I, you know, I think you got to just get in there. You know, you can't baby step around the stuff. You can't, you know, have these little you know, HR like conversations, like you got to get in there and be like, no, that was, that was wrong. You got to be transparent. You have to, because otherwise it's not going to change. You've got to be able to call people out. Right. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. And, and when we rethink diversity, we need to rethink even what leadership is. It's high time to throw away the laggard ways of leadership and adopt hot ship. Everything comes from the heart where we really think about people value people regardless of how they sound like how they look like their age wherever which are part of the world they are from their thoughts leadership is not monolingual it doesn't look like a white male who is 60 year old doesn't look like that neither does it look like a 40 year old white female it can look like a 25 year old colored person who is a software developer who is a female? Who is soft-spoken? Leadership is not about being loud, you know, and diversity. That's the whole beauty of diversity. When you're exposed to different types of people, you know how to grow your skills as a leader, how to lead. When I say lead, you have to follow first in order to lead. Exactly. And that's the thing that people forget. You know, you got to be <laughs> a follower and you have to be an observer and a learner and a lifetime learner to really lead. And that's really what I love about you and your organization and what you what you stand for, because you do have to put that hardship back in leadership. And again, you know, because of societal pressures and different things, you know, we're leading with revenue. Like, that's what we want to talk about when you hear about organizations. You know, what's the first thing you hear about them? The revenue. You know, what did they close? You know, last fiscal year, <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, what are they pushing? How are things going? And you kind of just don't hear about the heart and the intent of, of the leaders. You just don't. But again, back to our points before, I think a lot of that does come from scarcity um, mindset, because how can I train you to do my job? Because if I do, I won't have a job anymore. And mm -hmm. it's, it's really baffling and, and, and quite sad, but you know, I'm I'm very encouraged when it comes to diversity and inclusion because we can't run from it. It's here. It's not going anywhere. But I also right. think there are a lot of people that are like you and I, and they are going to have you know some similar mindsets and points, and we're going to be able to really come together and you know really really make some things happen. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I'm all about rethinking diversity. 
because diversity is not an isolated team. It's an integral part of whatever that we are creating. It's an integral part of our society, of our homes, of our work. It's not an isolated department in the basement. You need <laughs> to have diversity in every facade of our lives. It's a social responsibility of us. Thank you, Kim, for being on Rethink Culture, where we explore the whole science. And today we explore diversity. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the invite. Great chatting with you. 